Today we're returning to our series on refreshing our vision of the Christian life and of the people of God. We're trying to put that picture back on the cover of the box so that we know how to live life in the daily grind and rhythms and routines that we all experience. Everything in this begins with God and with his gospel, with the action, the unilateral action of God through his grace and mercy. And then we've seen that in response to that gospel, uh, the aim of our lives is to become like Jesus, to become truly human, fully alive. And we're now in the process of considering these four gifts that God has given to us, these four trajectories that when we take them up in our lives, grow us into restored image bearers of God. Remember the compass, worship up, community in, mission out, and catechesis deep. And it's taking up these four gifts, these four trajectories, in a balanced way that enables us to grow to be more like Jesus throughout our lives. We've already looked at worship and at catechesis, at the vertical axis axis of the compass, those things that pertain more explicitly to loving God. Next, we're going to turn to look at community and at mission, at the horizontal axis, these things that pertain more explicitly, but of course not exclusively, to loving neighbor. And so today we're, we're starting with community, and next week we'll come back and look at the outward trajectory of mission. If you have your Bible open to Romans chapter 15, our text is this exhortation that Paul gives to the church in Rome, specifically in verse 7, which reads, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. This amazing epistle, which is the height of of Paul's reflections on the gospel of God, is driving toward this final exhortation. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. And this exhortation is not dissimilar from Jesus' own words in John 13, which we heard earlier where Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Both in John 13 and here in Romans 15, we are urged to do to one another what Jesus has done to us. Love as you have been loved by Jesus. Welcome as you have been welcomed by Jesus. And do this, be this kind of people, Paul says, for the glory of God. So to get at this exhortation, and I hope to be stirred to respond to it, we need to understand something of the nature of the community to which this exhortation is given. That is, to the community of the church, of all those who have been welcomed by Jesus, of those who have responded to the gospel in repentance and faith. Because together, we are a new entity in the world— a new plant growing up in the garden of history. And there are two profound features that mark this new entity, both of which are effectively communicated through the metaphor of the body, which Paul uses earlier in Romans 12. We heard it read from 1 Corinthians 12. He also taps into this in Ephesians 4 as well. But I want to read you the three verses from Romans 12, which again we did here earlier as well. Um, Again, for as in one body... We have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. 
having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. And then he goes on to explain some of those gifts and exhorts us to use them. Two things from the metaphor of the body. We are one. We are individually members of one another. In Christ, we belong to one another. Second, and this is by God's design, we are different. We are not uniform. We have different functions and different God-given gifts. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell, Paul asks. No, we need these differences, and we need each other, and we depend upon one another. So here's what this means. If you look around the people of God, and even if you looked around the sanctuary, you see people of various ethnic backgrounds. You see quiet people and talkative people. You see sick people and healthy people, hurt, um, joyful people, sad people, well-off people, and people who are in financial need, people who are gifted in ways that you're not but would like to be, and people who would like to be gifted like you are. You see Democrats and you see Republicans, people that drive you crazy and people that you drive crazy, people you'd like to talk to afterwards and people you'd probably rather avoid, people who share your interests and people who don't, people who are older, older than you, people who are younger than you. But as you look around above everything else, you see people whom Christ has welcomed, just like he's welcomed you. And this means two things. You see people to whom you belong and who belong to you. People with whom you are, you are united because what you have in common, that is Christ himself, is so much more significant and important and meaningful than anything that you have not in common, any of your differences, however great those differences may be. And you see people with whom your life is bound up. Your pain is their pain. Their joy is your joy. If one member suffers, Paul says, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. The Christian life is not a 100-meter dash with each of us in our own lane, competing with one another to get to the finish line. On the other hand, it's much more like the elementary field day three-legged race. In Christ, you are bound to me, and I'm bound to you, and we're bound to one another. And progress can never happen if we seek to run alone. Rather, that just creates chaos, as most of us know from when we were younger. We're not each other's competitors, but companions. And our burdens are not liabilities that slow one another down from achieving our self-determined goals, but rather our burdens are opportunities for each other to grow into the fullness of humanity, to begin to embody the reality of love, to become more fully alive. That's a radical reorientation when you think about the people that you're sitting next to. And that's who I want you to think about. I'm not trying to be abstract. It's these people where this begins. We're bound up together. You with me, me with you, and so on. The second thing when you look around the sanctuary is you see people that need you, and you see people that you need. 
You see people to whom you belong and who belong to you, but you see people also that need you and people that you need. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. The finish line in the three-legged race that is the Christian community, to borrow Paul's language from Ephesians 4, is mature manhood, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And to get to that finish line, we must all play our part. We've all been given gifts. And these gifts that have been given to us by the Spirit of God, through the sovereignty of God, these gifts are not to make our name great. Often we think of those things that make us distinctive as those things that we need to kind of press into in order to be distinct from and over and above the people around us, our peers, to kind of get ahead. But instead, in Christ, we are already wonderful and complete and full. We've already received all that there is. There's nothing more to gain. So that now those gifts that have been given to us by the Spirit of God can be used to bless and grow the body of Christ and to bring God glory. A symphony cannot be played with one violin or with even just a few instruments. It takes an entire orchestra to create something that beautiful and rich and harmonious. You and I, we are all necessary in this work. We are all gospel ministers, which is to say none of us are spiritual goods consumers. We've been given gifts. We've been called into a body. You are needed here. I need you. And you're here to do gospel ministry in the community of God's people. Your gifts, your perspective, your experience, your honesty, your pain, your time, your self-offering and relationship, all of this is needed. No one's on the bench. Everybody's on the playing field. That's the church. And so as you look around this sanctuary, none of you have done it, but you should. As you look around the sanctuary, you belong here and you are needed here. And the people you're looking at belong here and are needed here in a very real sense. It's God's design. This is the community of the church. But this design, as beautiful as it is, is undermined on two fronts. And I want to address those two fronts for a moment. Resistance and doubt. Resistance and doubt. Many of us resist the reality of Christ's welcome. We are overly influenced by our culture's worship of individualism and self-sufficiency. We tend to think of life like a hundred-meter dash, and we're running as fast and as furious as we can to get to the finish line. And it's much easier if we could just take care of our own needs on our own through our hard-earned resources. It seems in this model of life that the one great sin is appearing or admitting our need. We would never do something like that. We'll give off the sense that we have it all together, that we're doing just fine, and we'll interact with others on our own terms. We may dutifully come to church for spiritual goods, but we certainly don't become a part of a community to get more deeply engaged The messy stuff of relationships, responsibilities, and bearing others' burdens requires that we give up too much control in our lives. And control is the one thing that we love and we cherish. Losing that makes us terribly uncomfortable. Or maybe we just fear that we don't know how to respond to the pain of others. So we stand aloof, hunkered down alone, or with our own family. 
What community we do have in life is generally hand-picked, which is a form of control that is culturally acceptable. We've hand-picked from those that we really like, those that won't need us too much, those that will enable us to keep the relationship on our terms, and they'll be glad to reciprocate in that same way. Anyway, we don't have much time for those people that we've chosen because our calendar is full, over-programmed, with activities of our own choosing, so that the reality of the body of Christ, though we may affirm it cognitively and by faith, certainly practically doesn't have a lot of impact or traction in our life. We are individualistic Christians on the fast lane, which of course is an oxymoron. There's no such thing as an individualistic Christian. But this is a subtle, this kind of resistance is a subtle and overt temptation for every one of us. And we have to come to terms with that and recognize that we've, we find this kind of resistance within each of our own hearts and lives. And yet it hurts us. It, it's not actually the pathway to greater life. This kind of resistance to this vision of Christian community that God gives us in his word actually diminishes us and stunts our growth. Listen to these words of Eugene Peterson. He says, There can be no maturity in the spiritual life, no obedience in following Jesus, no wholeness in the Christian life, apart from an immersion and embrace of community. I am not myself by myself. Community, not the highly vaunted individualism of our culture, is the setting in which Christ is at play. End quote. To resist community is to invite immaturity. It is to diminish the glory of God by choosing not to enter into that which he has given us as a gift. And it also, not only hurt, it, it hurts us also by bringing us into isolation. One of our enemy's greatest tactics in taking us off the path of life is to get us isolated. From a pastoral perspective, I can say from experience that isolation always plays a factor in significant downfalls in the lives of God's people. We get isolated and we get vulnerable to attack and easily distorted. Whereas remaining together, we are far stronger. So that's resistance. The second way that this gets undermined is through doubt. Many of us doubt that these truths, that you belong here and that you're needed here. Our enemy loves to feed these doubts as well in our lives. We hear and believe messages such as, you don't belong here and you never will. You're a poser. You're not sincere enough. If people really knew and then fill in the blank for whatever that is in your life, you'd never have a place here. Your marriage is too messed up. Your family, your children are too uh, rowdy. They're not well-behaved enough. You're too worldly, too addicted. You're too numb too depressed, too full of doubt. We think we've screwed up too many times. You don't belong here, is the message. And you're certainly not needed here. You don't have any gifts. You're not good for much. You don't know your Bible well enough. You don't pray enough. You don't serve enough. You're a half-hearted Christian. I'm not saying these things to you. This is the enemy speaking. What could you possibly bring to this group of people that they need? That's preposterous. 
That's the kind of message that goes on deep inside of every human heart and mind. Think about, to counter that for just a moment, what Jesus spent his life doing. He spent his life seeing, showing compassion to, and embracing the very people for whom those lies seemed to have the most traction. Think about Bartimaeus on the side of the road, blind and begging, or the woman at the well, coming to the well when no one else would see her, or Zacchaeus, that tax collector that everybody hated. And Jesus spends his life saying to people like that, you belong with me. You're needed in my kingdom. I want to come and have dinner at your house today. So in the face of resistance and doubts, what are we to do? This is a lifelong struggle because you do belong here, because you are needed here. But we look to Christ by faith, which means this. We take our eyes off of ourselves and we gaze upon Christ who is faith's proper object. And we see that it is Christ who welcomes us. It is Christ who makes us belong. It is Christ who by his Spirit gives us gifts that makes us needed in the community that he has created. And if you're doubting this strongly today, if you're resisting this reality today, then look to Christ by faith, and his radical welcome will melt away resistance in your heart, and it will dispel doubts. And as you look to Jesus, Jesus is the one who, through the Apostle Paul, issues in this exhortation. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Those of us in this room, in Christ, we are the new humanity. We are one body, bound together. We need each other. And yes, we're resistors and doubters to this truth. But let's embrace the reality, the divine reality of Christian community in all of its mess and welcome one another, fellow resistors and doubters, as Christ has welcomed us for the glory of God. Here's the logic of this exhortation and why I took the time to bring out these two truths. You belong and you're needed. The logic is simple. The master of the house has welcomed you to his banquet. Who are you to say to another guest at the table, you're not welcome here, you don't belong here, you're not needed here. There's no right for that. That's illogical because the master has welcomed you. Now, because you've been welcomed, you turn to your neighbor, you turn to the person at the banquet table next to you. If you don't like them, it doesn't matter. And you welcome them with that same welcome that Christ has welcomed you with. That's the exhortation. You become like Jesus to those around you, those who doubt whether they belong, those who don't believe that they're needed, those who are resisting and rejecting the idea of community because they can't give up control. You embrace them, and you welcome them, and you love them, much like Christ's welcome for you involved pursuit and empathy and understanding and listening and then suffering and care for their needs. So you give that same welcome to those messed up people sitting next to you right now. And you're just as messed up and you extend that welcome to them. It means when you look at them, you don't see them and their imperfections and their differences, but you see Christ first. 
And when you look at them, you know that you're both seated at the same table that he invited you to. You know that you both stand on the same foundation that is Christ. You know that you both follow the same truth that is Christ. And that's the basis for this relationship that you've been invited into as God's people. And again, as you welcome them, as you extend that welcome to them, their resistance and their doubts will diminish through your embodiment of the welcome of Christ. And as you're seeking to do that with them, guess what? And this is the beautiful thing of Christian community. They are laboring in the same vein, by the same power, through the same spirit, to extend that same welcome to you. And if you think it's hard to extend it to them, how hard is it for them to extend it to you? And yet, as they do so, your resistance and your doubt, do I really belong? Am I really needed? Those things begin to be diminished as they embrace you and pursue you. And as we do this together, as we embody the reality of being a community, a body who belongs to one another, where every one of us is needed, we thwart the devil's plans. We undermine his attempts to isolate, to divide, to destroy. And he's doing that not because he cares about you or he cares about us, because he hates the God that we serve. And he doesn't want that God to receive any glory or honor or praise. And he knows that the way that God receives great glory and honor and praise is when we reflect that welcome to one another. When we become a humanity defined in Christ by love and welcome, we are a beautiful, compelling, and divine reality that manifests to the world the glory of a God who is three persons in one God existing for all eternity in a harmony of love. We reflect that as we reflect this gift together to the world. Of course, we don't do this perfectly. We'll mess up. We'll hurt each other. We'll need to forgive and move forward, and that's the reality. But God is not surprised. There was never a perfect church. There never will be until Christ comes back. The church in Rome needed this exhortation because they were dividing over the strong and the weak, the Jews and the Gentiles. And Paul says, no, no, no. I want you to stay together, to welcome each other, because as you do this, you're reflecting the amazing power of the gospel through that one practical symbol that is most powerful, which is the unified body of Christ. So God will give us the grace and the strength and the endurance to to keep growing in the midst of the challenges, the hurt, the disappointment, and the busyness. Challenges and hurt which some of you may be feeling right now, may be feeling about this community toward you. God will give you the grace to step in by faith. You belong here, and you're needed here. This community of welcome, this community of love, which is created by the radical self-giving welcome and love of Christ, this is our life. There is no movement toward Christ-likeness outside of the three-legged race that is Christian community. This is your goal, This is your ambition. This is your opportunity, our opportunity. Welcome one another. Stop resisting, stop doubting. And welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Amen.